Our Father in heaven, I just thank you for this passage of scripture. This is going to be a, a good time. This is going to be fun. So put in our hearts a longing to know you now. Remind us that I'm not just a man speaking to people, but this is the word of God that we need. Without the word of God, we would know nothing. Nothing consequential, at least. And so this morning, we ask once again. We ask for you, by your spirit, to open our eyes, open our hearts, open our ears, and give us more of yourself. Because what, what is greater than you? What treasure, what friendship, what compares to knowing Christ Jesus as Lord? And in his name we pray. Amen. I wonder if you, I'm sure you've had this happen to you. It's happened, I think, to everyone. Have you ever had someone give you instructions and you understood all the instructions individually, but whenever it was time to actually do what they're telling you to do, you have no idea what you're supposed to do. I feel like this happens in math class all the time. It's like, you see the trinomial? It's like... I think so, yeah. You see the B, not the A or the C? Yeah. But you gotta move the C over and you gotta complete the square. So you gotta divide your B by two and square it. It's like I know what divide by two and square means, but I don't have a clue what you're talking about, teacher. Um I mean this happens in life, right? You get the instructions. And you even understand all the instructions, and yet somehow you don't, you don't understand it. <laughs> this happened to me, uh, I think, yesterday or two days ago. Carl gave me, I'm sure, great instructions on what to do. We're outside shoveling, and uh, Carl told me to do this and do this. He told me what to do, and at the end of it, he said, am I making sense? I said, I'm sure you're making sense, but I'm not, I'm not tracking. Um, <laughs> So this happens, right? You hear the instructions and you're, you're, you're good. But then when you gotta put it all together, when you gotta put it all together, it's like, well, 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 wait, how do I put this together? How do I put it together? Well, I feel like that's a bit like our passage this morning, Philippians 4, 4 through 7. <clears throat> We've got some very, very basic instructions. They're incredibly basic instructions. And yet when you actually gotta put them together, it's a bit tricky. How do I, how do I put these, these three commands together? So let me read these verses, okay? Philippians 4, verses 4 through 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So th there's our verses. This is one of the shorter passages I, I think I've ever gotten to preach. So this is pretty nice, actually. And so not much to it. Rejoice. Be gentle. Don't be anxious. But how do those three things work together? So I'll give you my take on it. And then once we get a sense of how they work together, we'll go through each one of them at a time. Okay? So what if I gave you three instructions? What if I said, um, 
fly to England, buy a ticket, pack your bags. Three commands. Buy, oh, fly to England, buy a ticket, pack your bags. How would those three work together? I'll give you, I'll give you another one. Drink water. Get a cup, fill it up. Give you another one. Eat supper. Grab a plate, wash your hands. Give you uh, one more. <laughs> this would be the worst of the lot. Um, go run half a mile. Put your sneakers on, stretch. All right? How do those three commands work together? In every instance, you have the main command up front, <coughs> run half a mile, and then you've got two commands right after it that allow you to do the first command. In all three of those, in all those examples I gave you. Eat supper. How are you going to do that? First, you've got to grab a plate and you've got to wash your hands. I guess you don't have to wash your hands, but I guess technically you don't have to grab a plate either, but it's helpful. <coughs> How are you gonna drink water? Well, first you've got you you got to grab a cup and you gotta fill it up, and then you can drink water. I think that's what's going on in our passage today. I think that's exactly what's going on. So look at verse four. Here's your main command: rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say it: rejoice. That's your main command. And then I think he gives you two commands afterwards that enable you to rejoice. This is the best I can come up with, at least. The first one is verse 5. Let your gentleness be evident to all. And the second one is like a, a tag team, a double in verse 6. Don't be anxious. Pray. Okay? If you are anxious and you're not gentle, there's no way in the world you can be rejoicing. I think that's what's going on here. So the name of this sermon, quite simply, is Don't Worry. Be happy. This is actually, I think, the name of an old Bob Marley song. <laughs> but it's right here, isn't it? Rejoice. Be happy. Rejoice in the Lord. So you need to do two things if you're ever going to be rejoicing in the Lord. You need a gentle disposition, and you need to be praying and not worrying. Okay? So there it is. That's the, that's the summary. Not complicated stuff here. I feel like this is pretty basic. But we need the basics, don't we? I mean, we need to remember just elementary, what does it mean to follow Jesus? So we'll look at these three commands each in turn. First, we'll look at rejoice in the Lord. And then we'll look at be gentle. You might have reasonable in your, in your text. We'll talk about that in a second. And, you, and then we'll talk about don't worry, but pray. Okay? So verse 4, rejoice. Verse 5, be gentle. Verse 6, don't worry, but pray. So we'll just take each one of those in turn now. So look at verse 4 with me. Let me read that. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. A couple things about this command as we get going here. Um... Just overall general comment first. Rejoice in the Lord always. There's this miscommunication. Mis well, not miscommunication. I think misunderstanding, really. A misunderstanding of Christianity. A misunderstanding of following Jesus. 
I see it a lot whenever talks about the Puritans come up. And everyone talks about how these Puritans just love to have a terrible time. And Christians, they're just not interested in being happy at all. And they're just all about following rules. And to be a Christian is basically to say no to all the good stuff in life. So that way you can have a better afterlife. I hear this all the time. What's it, what's, what's it, what's it like being a Christian? You just say no to all the fun stuff because you believe in this other magical place in the sky, right? This is not what the Bible says about Christianity at all. You hear this? Rejoice in the Lord. Again, I'll say it. Rejoice. How much? Always. Like, always be happy in Jesus. Just, like, not possible. <laughs> okay? If you take it one way. We'll talk about what always means here in a second. But just, just, just realize what's going on here for a second. You are commanded by God to be happy in Jesus. Like your, favorite, like, your favorite football team wins, man. Like, the LSU Tigers won the national championship. I was happy, because I grew up 10 minutes away from the stadium, Death Valley, where LSU played. That's my team. I rejoiced in their victory, as, as I should. That's normal and natural. We rejoice in things all the time. You, find, you go garage sailing, and you find you wouldn't believe it for five bucks, you know? And it's like, that's it. I'm rejoicing, you know? So I got one for the men, one for the women there, right? <laughs> and uh, we rejoice in things all the time. So when he says rejoice in the Lord, it basically means let Jesus be your happiness. Always. So the Bible wants you to be happy. The Bible is a fan of you delighting yourself in Jesus. To be happy is to be good. Some people say, should I be holy or should I be happy? And I say, yes, you are commanded to be happy. If you're not happy in Jesus, you're not holy. You see that? It is a command. You cannot separate these things. So, in just general comment there. Rejoice in the Lord. And this is not unique to here. Psalm 37, verse 4. Delight yourselves in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Zephaniah 3.14 and Zechariah 9.9, parallel text in the Old Testament. Maybe you know Zechariah 9.9 or bits of it. So it goes something like this. Let's see if I can get it off top head. Rejoice, O daughter of Zion. Be glad. Your king comes to you, and your king comes to you riding on a donkey, bringing salvation. And who's this? Jesus, right? Jesus is coming, so what do you do? Rejoice. That's what you do. That's the proper response. And that's what Paul's saying here. And so Paul's not just making this up. This is throughout the whole Old Testament. This idea that God is to be our source of ultimate happiness. Clarification. Um, it says always. Rejoice in the Lord always. Does that mean every second? No, it does not. You sleep, don't you? That's not sin. That's not sin. When he says always, he means the same thing as what he means when he says, I always pray for you. He means, I, I'm regularly doing it. It doesn't mean every second. It means every circumstance. That's what it means. Every circumstance. Always be rejoicing in the Lord. You go to work and you have a good day. You know what you should do? Thank God for a good day and rejoice in him. You have a bad day and your mood's way down? You know what you really need to do when your mood's way down? Rejoice in the Lord. That's what you really need to do when you're having a bad day. Use your car ride back home 
to just say, Jesus works terrible, but you're not. <laughs> right? That's what you do. Kids, you got a good day with the kids? Rejoice. You got a bad day with the kids? Doubly rejoice. Okay? Family's sick. Family's healthy. You could do this for a long time. If Paul were here, Paul were here, the Apostle Paul, he'd say, you're in prison? Rejoice. You're not in prison? Rejoice. <laughs> right? This is what we do. So, big idea. Be happy in Jesus. When? All the time. Just all the time. How? Happy about what? What's there to be happy about, this Middle Eastern man who lived 2,000 years ago? Like, well, why should that make me happy? Well, what I like to do, one thing that helps me, that primes my rejoicing pump, is I like to think of images or pictures of Jesus or God in the Old Testament. So there are so many just images of who God is and who the Messiah is in the Old Testament. So I'll just give you, what, one, two, three, six, six or so here. Um, the Old Testament and the New Testament, they, they agree, Jesus is our shepherd. You're like a little sheep and you don't know where to go, but Jesus has come to you. And Jesus shows you where to go. He shows you how to live your life. Thank you, Jesus, for being my shepherd. Another image. He's not just the shepherd, he's the lamb. He's the sacrificial lamb. I love this. Like, I'm a guilty sinner every day. And if I were to stand before God, I'd be, I'd be so, so guilty. And you would too. We all would, right? But Jesus is my lamb. He takes my sins. Like Animals are sacrificed as a symbol of saying, I deserve punishment. And yet I can live even though I deserve punishment. Jesus has come and taken our punishment so that we can live before God. Jesus is our cornerstone, which has a few different meanings. You can stand on him. He's your rock, and you can be steady on him. If you're on Jesus, you will not be put to shame. If you're trusting in him, you're going to be all right. Even if everything goes bad, you're going to be all right. Even if you die, you'll be all right. He's your cornerstone. He's also making us into a temple, and he's the cornerstone of it. We're special. We're like a temple. God thinks the world of you. He's like a peg. If you hang your coat on, it comes from like Isaiah 22, Zechariah 10 type stuff. What's the picture of a peg that you can hang stuff on? Well, you can put as much stuff on Jesus as you want and he won't break under pressure. You got one of these coat pegs over here and you strap 40 pound weights on it, string over it, you're going to snap the peg off, won't you? But Jesus is sturdy. As much as you want to put on his shoulders, which we'll talk about through prayer, just dump it all on Jesus, he can bear the weight. He's there for you. He's strong for you. He's a king, and he's a warrior. And what has he waged war against? Sin and death, and he defeated it through his resurrection. No matter what your day is giving you, good day, bad day, just start going through the pictures of who Jesus is and just start thanking him for them. Start rejoicing in Jesus. Start rejoicing that there's something there always for you to be happy about. Pick one other thing that you can always, and I mean always, be happy about. Try to come up with something. Try. I tried this week. I couldn't come up with one. I mean always. Like deathbed, birth, 
post-death. <laughs> what is there that you can always be happy in? There's only one thing. It's Jesus. So, if you, set your, if you seek to be happy in the one thing that can always make you happy, you will be the happiest person. But if you seek to be happy in things that cannot always guarantee you happiness, you will not be the happiest person. So I tell you, pursue your joy. Be happy by getting to know Jesus. If you know Jesus, I tell you, your days will brighten. Your circumstances might not, but your heart will. It will. All right, so back to our running like illustration. If you're going to eat supper, first you've got to do two things, right? Wash your hands and get a plate. You can pick a bunch of different things. Those are just two I grabbed out of the air. If you're going to rejoice, you think, I think what Paul's saying is there's, there's two like prerequisites. There's two things you've got to do before you rejoice. And we, we talked about rejoicing, so now let's move on. Let's move on to being gentle. Being gentle in verse 5. So let me read that to you. Verse 5. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. So it just feels like a huge shift, doesn't it? It's like, what just happened? Okay, so let's, let's think about this for just a moment here. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Um, this word for gentle, you might have reasonable in your translation. I'm just curious. Does anyone have reasonable in their translation? We all have gentle. Oh, Angela has reasonable. Yeah. So it just shows you this word's a little muddy. Some translations say reasonable. Some say gentle. So I just want to, rather than telling you exactly what this word is, I want to give you a feel for the word. Okay? I just want you to, like, feel what this word means, kind of. Because then you'll know what you're supposed to be. All right? So in <coughs> Titus chapter 3, verse 2, being gentle goes along with avoid quarrels and show courtesy. On one side it says avoid quarrels, on the other side it says show courtesy, and in the middle it has this word. Okay? Don't be quarreling, be courteous. And what's the bridge between the two? This word. Okay? 1 Timothy 3.3. In 1 Timothy 3.3, this word is basically the opposite of being drunk. Uh, you've had many interactions with drunk people. I'm sure they went great, right? Um, so, I mean, they're so stubborn and unreasonable, right? You, you can't get anywhere, can you? You just can't get anywhere. In Psalm 86, verse 5, this word trans translates the Hebrew word for forgiving. That's interesting. It translates the word for forgiving. So what is this word? It's not quarreling, it's being courteous, it's like the opposite of being drunk, it's being, forgive, being forgiving. Here's, here's how I try to wrap it up. It basically means don't be a jerk. Like seriously, like, if you were to put all that together that I just said, don't be a jerk, be someone who's easy to get along with. That's, that's what this word basically means. Like gentle, but it doesn't mean be a doormat. Not gentle like that, that you can just be walked upon. It means be the type of person that makes situations better. Don't be a jerk. <laughs> That's the best I could basically come up with. That's what Paul's saying here, which he needs to say because they've been fighting in this church, remember? 
Church of Philippi, Judea and Syntyche have been fighting each other. We Joel preached about that last week. There's some jerks in this church, all right? And Paul's saying, stop, stop being a jerk. Be gentle, be reasonable, be kind towards one another, be forgiving. Okay, so <clears throat> how to be gentle. Paul says, be gentle and let your gentleness be made known to all. Live your life in such a way that everywhere you go, people look at you and they go, wow, that person is just, he's kind. She's gentle. Those people are forgiving and we see it. That's what Paul's calling for here. That's what God is calling for from us, from us believers. And a couple comments about being gentle. Now, I already mentioned this. The word does not mean be a doormat. Be gentle. So just lay down my life and let people walk all over me. Well, first off, Jesus was walked all over, and he took it. It's called suffering, so sometimes it happens. But that's not what this word is really calling for. Um, to be gentle, with, as I thought about it more and more, some people think of gentleness, this word, and they think of um, like not saying hard things or not confronting others. I don't think that's what's going on here at all. I don't think it's so much what you say, I think it's how you say it. Let me say that again. To be a gentle, reasonable type of person, I don't think it's so much what you say, I think it's how you say it. You can say very stern and hard things without raising your voice, <laughs> without screaming and making it about you. You can deliver some pretty harsh blows that need to be said in a composed way. And I really think that's the key. If you're this type of person who's not being stubborn or acting like a drunkard, you're gentle, you're reasonable, you're composed. Okay? I think that's what's really at the heart of this, composure. Because when you're not composed, you're not rejoicing, I guarantee it. Zero percent chance you're rejoicing in Jesus when you have lost your composure, right? I really think that's how this is working together. So it's not what you say, it's how you say it. Confront your children. Confront your coworker in the responsible way. You know, go through the avenues to which you should go through. But do it in a respectful, kind way. Now you might be thinking, I'm just not a gentle person. I'm just a jerk by nature. <laughs> and that's probably true. I think we all are, actually, to one degree or another. What do you do to not be such a big, fat jerk? <laughs> what do you do? Paul gives an answer. Look at the second half of verse 5. The Lord is near. Rejoice. Be gentle. The Lord is near. How does that work? Here's how it works. So if you were to go through the Old Testament and you were to look for all the verses that have the word Lord and near in it, you would find this phrase over and over again. The day of the Lord is near. The day of the Lord is near. What is the day of the Lord? That's what Paul's talking about here. The return of Jesus. It's the day of reckoning. There will be a day of reckoning 
where wrong will be seen as wrong and right will be seen as right and judgment will fall and all things will be set to the correct order. It will happen. That day is near. There's not much between now and then. We don't know when Jesus is coming back, but there's not a lot of hoops to jump through. We're not waiting for the exile of Israel. We're not waiting for the temple that was destroyed in AD 70 to be destroyed. We're not waiting for the coming of the Messiah. We're not waiting for the establishment of the church. The Lord is near. It's close. What's left? He could come back. Be ready. Judgment is coming. And since Jesus is coming with judgment, you don't have to strike back. You can be gentle. You can be composed. You can let the judge mete out the judgment. It's not your job. Take a stand, say what you need to say, but don't lash out and try to make, and try to make them pay. Jesus will do it. He's, his return means that you don't have to get them back, whatever it is. Be gentle, be composed. When you're composed, then you can be one who rejoices in the Lord. All right, so now let's move on to our final one. Be gentle, and then verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I hope that you, who have been coming regularly, a couple of you are guests here, so this wouldn't apply to you, but for those who are members... I hope you recognize these are our verses of the month. Which means by the end of the month, you should have these memorized. And if you want to memorize verses, these are some of the best. Uh, people who memorize these verses come back to these verses all the time. Because life is always anxious and anxiety inducing. So these are good ones to know. Very good ones to know. Do not worry about anything but and everything with, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. There it is. So that's what we need to be doing. And just so you know, I messed up quoting it last night, and Lydia corrected me, which was great. I told her, be listening. I might mess up. So you'll mess up, but just keep working on it, all right? Just keep working on it. So a couple of comments about don't worry but pray. Um, what does this word worry or anxious mean? Do not be anxious about anything. Because this can be a little confusing. Have you ever wondered, am I worrying or am I just concerned? Like, what am I? Is concern worry? Is worry concern? Is there a difference? Or maybe you've met someone who's just worrying to the 10th degree and you say, you need to stop worrying. I'm not worrying, I'm just concerned. It's like, okay, <laughs> you're the king of rationalizing is what you're doing. So let's look at something. I think this will be helpful. So everybody turn one page back in your Bible and go to chapter two, verse 20. That word we saw for anxiety or anxiousness or worry it shows up in chapter 2, verse 20, and over here you can do it. But in chapter 4, verse 6, you can't do it. So let's look at that. Chapter 2, verse 20, Paul writes, 
I have no one else like him, that's Timothy, who will show genuine concern for your welfare. And there it's a good thing. So in chapter 4, verse 6, he says, don't do this word. And then in chapter 2, verse 20, he says, Timothy's great because he does this word. <laughs> so what's going on here? What's going on here is the, it has, the word has two different senses, just like it does in English. You could say, you could be overly concerned, you know, or you can just be properly concerned. Like we say, I'm worried about it, but we don't actually always mean I'm, I'm like in deep desperation. We don't always mean that. And so the word has two senses. There is a sense in which this can just mean proper concern and care, but there's a, there's a side to it where concern goes wrong. Concern gets twisted. So how do you know when you're just simply concerned and when you're worrying? How do you know? This is something I've thought about, and I know others too. I've heard Joel talk about this some. How do you know when you're overly concerned and it's actually not concern anymore, but it's worry? And here's my, here's my best answer. Something's going through your mind, right? It's going through your mind. It's your son, it's your daughter, it's your friend, it's your nephew. Something's happening. Can you turn it off? If you can turn it off and redirect to something else, it's concern. If it is controlling you, then it's worry. If it's controlling you, then it's become worry. It's dominating you. Paul says that sin, not, sin should not be master over you. As soon as it starts mastering you, you've entered into sin. That's, that's worry, all right? So a couple, that's just a helpful overview there. I, I find it helpful of when am I worrying and when am I just concerned? Because one's righteous and one's ungodly, and they're pretty close together, actually. All right, so um, Paul says, instead of worrying about anything, in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. So don't worry, but pray. So let's say you can't shut it off. You can't. It's just, it's got you, and you're just along for the ride. What do you do? Pray. That's what you do. You pray. What is worry? Worry is when you meet something bigger than you, and you don't know what to do. What is prayer? Prayer is when you meet something bigger than you, and you bring it to God. He's a tent peg. I mean, he's a peg from a wall. You can hang everything on him, and he'll bear it. He'll be strong. There's no limit to his strength. Okay? So it's got you. You're stuck. You're worrying. I don't know what to do. What do I do? Ah, I can't get it off my mind. I can't even pray because that's all I'm thinking about. That's the answer. Pray about what you're thinking about. You can't think about anything else. Pray about that. And let, turn your worry into a prayer. And all of a sudden, you're praying for five hours straight. If it's bad enough in your heart, deep enough, painful enough, turn the sin into something that pleases the Lord. Being prayerful, I'm learning more and more. It's not about being like righteous or holy. It's about recognizing you can't do anything. If you understand that you can't do anything, you will pray. 
I can't, I can't do that, I can't do that, I can't do that, I can't do that. So what, what are you left with? Two options, worry or prayer. One gets you nowhere, and one gets you to where you need to be. So, final verse now. Oh, one, one more comment about verse 6. Paul throws this in there, and it's, it's genius. In every situation, my prayer and petition, with thanksgiving... Did you catch that? You see that in the text? Don't just pray petitions. Don't just ask. Because when you're worried, you're asking for help, right? That's what you're doing. He says, don't just ask. Your asks, your requests, your supplications should be mixed with thanksgiving. Why? This has been so helpful for me in my weak, struggling prayer life. Prayer has been one of the hardest things in my Christian life. Angela knows this. It's just, it's hard for me, right? Because I think I can do stuff on my own. And this has been so helpful. This idea of your request should be mixed with thanksgiving. Here's why. If all you're doing is saying, God help, 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 you've turned so inward. You're just thinking about you, 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 you. I finished some prayers where I feel more exasperated after them than I did before them. Because <laughs> I was not praying with thanksgiving. As you're calling down for help, remember to be thankful. Then you're remembering he has helped before. You're giving thanks for times that he has helped you. And so as you're calling down help, you're giving him thanks. You're returning it, saying, I know you will do it. Thankful. I'm thankful. I'm thankful. It's a way to remember as you're talking to God that he is able to do it. Okay? Okay, verse 7. Here's the result. What do we do? Instead of being anxious and worrying all the time when we pray, what happens? Verse 7. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus couple things to say here. Um, first is just a question. Do you know the peace of God? Do you know what Paul's talking about here? I can't really explain this to you. This is incredibly experiential. You feel this. I mean, something terrible's happened, and you're at your end. You're done. And, and you pray. Or you think something might terrible happen. Something that's terrible might happen. Probably won't statistically, but it might. <laughs> what, do you, what do you do? You pray. And while you're praying, you know it might be hard but you're going to be okay. You just know it. And your heart rate drops, and your breathing steadies, and you, you have peace. I hope you know this. God offers it to you if you're his child. You should know this. You should know the peace of God. If you don't, you're worrying, not praying. It, isn't, it makes so much sense. Paul says you can worry or you can pray. 
You can be anxious or you can pray. I'm pretty sure prayer is going down in America, and I'm pretty sure anxiety pills are going up in America. I mean, what a coincidence. It's like, yeah, of course. Because there's a remedy to anxiety. It's called prayer. And what do you get when you pray trusting him? Peace. Why do you have peace? Because you have given your request. That's too big for you. You have given it to one who is strong and loving and committed to your good and who heard you. I prayed to one who is the strongest, the most loving. He's committed to my good and I know he heard me. I can leave it with him. That's it, right? Sometimes we pray and we wonder, did it do any good? You didn't pray in faith. Doesn't mean it'll go the way you want it to go, but praying in faith just knows you've left it at the door of God. And he, he'll take care of it. You've left it at his foot. And he will take, he'll take care of it. He will. That's when the peace comes. The peace is the recognition that God is good and he is for you and you will be okay. That's what the peace is. I hope you know it. I pray you know it. This peace guards your hearts and your minds. Can you imagine if you had like a personal bodyguard who went with you everywhere in life and every time a physical threat, he never, he never bothered you. Like he never got in your way. He just magically appeared anytime a physical threat came and he just took care of the threat and he just disappeared. Wouldn't that be great? I mean, I go bike riding and these dogs, they think I'm tasty, right? I'm like, I wish I had somebody to take that dog out. Um, <laughs> this would be great. You would love that, wouldn't you? You had your own personal bodyguard who never got in your way, who showed up and could somehow take care of all your physical problems. Just like that. Yeah, sounds good. Well, you've got that for anxiety. It'll guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This word for guard is like, it's like you got a prisoner and you don't want the prisoner to escape. So what do you do? You, you guard the cell. That's what this is. Peace of God is your protection. Peace of God will guard, not your bodies, guard your heart, guard your minds. Because we just get, our hearts get involved, right? And we don't know what to do because the ones we love are in trouble. Our minds are just going crazy. You have a bodyguard. It's the peace of God, and it comes through knowing Christ Jesus is Lord. We know that being worry-filled ruins happiness. We know this. We know that if you're worried, you're not happy. I just wrote down some of the lyrics from that Bob Marley song. I never listened to it. I just heard about it. Ain't got no place to lay your head. Somebody came and took your bed. Don't worry. Be happy. <laughs> the, landlords say, the landlords say your rent is late. He may have to litigate. Don't worry. Be happy. And he goes on to say, if you're worried, give me a call and I'll take care of your worries. We know that when you're worried, what you need is to reach out and help find somebody. And we know it kills your happiness. Paul agrees. But you don't reach out to Bob Marley. <laughs> you reach out to the Lord Jesus. All right. So let me try to wrap all this up. We looked at rejoicing in the Lord always. We looked at being gentle. And we looked at being 
prayer-filled person, a prayerful person, not an anxious person. And what, what I feel like we're doing right now, because we are, you look at verse 8, you see how verse 8 starts with finally? It's like, new section, okay, new section. It's like, we're, it's like you finish your vacation, and, and what do you do when you're on your vacation so you can remember it? You take pictures and film and all that, and eventually you pull your home videos out and you watch them to remember where you were. Well, we're leaving. We're about to go to some new place. So before we leave, I want us to remember where we've been. That's what I want us to do. I want us to look back and see where we've been. I think this will be helpful. So turn to chapter 3, verse 1. Chapter 3, verse 1, which some translations kind of mess this up. But chapter 3, verse 1 begins with, finally. That's how you knew you were starting a new section. Finally brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, which he did. He wrote the same thing again. (laughs) He already knows what he's going to do. And he gives us two main ways that will help us rejoice in the Lord. Joel preached on this and did a great job. What were the two main ways to help us rejoice in the Lord? Well, chapter 3, verse 2. Watch out for false teachers. Watch out for the dogs. Watch out for evildoers. Watch out for the mutilators of the flesh. How do you rejoice in the Lord? Watch out. Be on the lookout for false teaching. False teaching will steal your joy. You need true teaching if you're going to have joy. And then chapter 3, verse 17. Chapter 3, verse 17, don't just be watching out for false teachers, but be watching true Christians to learn from their example. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, just as you have us as a model. Here it is, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. So how do you rejoice? You watch out for the false teachers and you keep your eyes on the good Christians, the faithful Christians. That'll help you rejoice. And I think you get the same thing in chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. 4, 4 through 7. How do you rejoice in the Lord? You be gentle. You be composed. And you don't worry. You pray. If you're staying composed and you're praying, you will be in a position to remember Jesus is great. And you can be happy in him. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, it is a joy to be able to come before you. We love you. We are your children, and we know you hear us. I'm just grateful. We are grateful that you don't want us to be anxious. You're God. You can do whatever you want. And yet you chose to lead us into a life that's anxiety-free and joy-filled. And just thank you that you didn't switch it up. Thank you that you didn't say, I want you to be anxiety-full and (laughs) joy-diminished. Father, give us a composed, prayerful spirit so that we can rejoice always. I pray, Father, that New Creation Church would be the happiest church, happiest group of people in the world. I mean it. That no matter what happens, we're just rejoicing that Jesus is there. Thank you for reminding us again that you are 
always, always the fountain of our joy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.